0: Calvin Abbasi is back with us. It's been a while. The last time I think uh, that you were on, you had we had some conversations about Liz Warren and Bernie Sanders and yep. that kind of stuff. And and boy, how how different uh, the world looked, even you know, even just those couple
1: of years. Yeah. Wow. So, what have you been up to? Uh, well, it's really good to be back with you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, that's true. I I remember we were talking, kind of. Loosely about the Democratic primary and where the the state of the of of Democrats was going into the primary before the election. So now you, uh,
0: now and and as we know, uh, Bernie Sanders won the election. So yes,
1: oh yeah, right. Well, you know, even if he didn't win it, I still think he won it.
0: I mean, exactly. The state,
1: um, I think
0: that the you know when it actually came to me. Um, Uh, just serendipitously was, uh, I think, yesterday when I saw that um, the USDA was giving free
1: lunches to every
0: student in America. uh, Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. And think of how many people would never have imagined that a Joe Biden administration would be pushing out so many genuinely progressive policies. Um, that, That just speaks to the fact that the Bernie movement, I mean, it absolutely won. It shifted it shifted the Overton window so far to the left that things that he had been saying since the 80s were unthinkable even on the campaign trail in 2008 when Obama was running. And then it became the standard platform for the entire party in 2020. So we see a much different world on the horizon the one that, than the one that exists. But uh, I, I am kind of also a dirty incrementalist where they, where I think that those things aren't possible unless we shift them you know maybe not slowly but but incrementally through through both mass movements and actual policy and so they have to be implemented they have to be implemented right and so a lot of the work I'm doing now right now I'm, I'm the I'm the political communications manager and uh, for for Pico California and Pico California is their the largest interfaith organizing, organization in California. And so, um, it takes pretty much everyone in California for whom faith is central to their spirit and justice is central to their identity and puts them to action. Um, and primarily kind of the three primary legs that we work on are housing justice, transformative justice and immigration. Um, A lot of the work that we do on transformative justice, particularly, especially in the wake of the Chauvin trial wrapping up yesterday, is um, really important right now. Like people, whether or not the Chauvin trial came down on one side of the aisle or the other, right? I think most of us expected it to not go the way it went yesterday. I know when I watched the verdict being read, I was very happy, but very surprised. I didn't think he would get third or second degree murder because that's just how things are now. But when he did, I feel like everyone has this, had this moment and thought, okay, we can, this is now normalized. Now you can be punished for murdering someone in broad daylight on camera, which is admittedly the lowest imaginable bar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) We we were saying
0: the same thing. A similar thing here um, was, uh, that, um, I push back against kind of the, the, that we ought to feel relieved in some way by this, but definitely that we ought to see what's possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so that's, that's kind of where I, I try to stay sane in this work is that, you know, there's two pieces in California that, that I think are important here. The first is the is that Derek Chauvin shouldn't have been a police officer. That's just he had had several cases of misconduct throughout his career um, that were even if they weren't you know prosecutorial misconduct to the point where he could be indicted for something they were misconduct unbecoming of a sworn police officer. Whatever your view of the police is, Derek Chauvin should have been decertified as a police officer long before. He kneeled on George Floyd's neck. Now in California, we have Senate Bill 2 that's in, the legislature, that's in the legislature right now. And SB 2 makes it so that we can decertify bad cops. That doesn't sound huge and it's not as sexy and it's, it's probably not going to get millions of people to the streets. But right now, lawyers, real estate agents, almost any profession in California can be decertified for misconduct cops can't because cops have a you know a police bill of rights they have their own they literally have their own rules that they get to play by in california we should be able to decertify them that's SB 2 right and then we it have seems
0: like decertification yeah. is at least as important as ending qualified immunity absolutely um, because absolutely uh, because the bottom line with decertification is you get them yeah. out of the position you, you fire them uh, which exactly. means they can't continue to do what they're doing and so qualified immunity is a, is a is a battle in one sphere of that and then i think decertification is is the other half of that and uh and we had a bill in our state legislature as well uh that was uh introduced by our most progressive uh member of the of the state house and uh, that but that bill didn't obviously uh make it out of committee um because right. Uh, because reasons. Um, and, because uh, reasons. Well, and, because, and really bad yeah. ones, like really bad of arguments course. because it's not even a, a conservative, like like it seems like the <laughs> the conservative position is
1: would be penalize someone your job, if you're bad at your job. Or if you're right. a
0: huge liability to right. your organization, right. then you
1: shouldn't fucking have a job. It's so true. And you would think that that's the conservative position. But at the one thing that I've uh, noticed through my years now in political work and not like in the academic sphere is, and it sounds callous, but power is everything. If you have power in legislatures, if you have power in voting, you you get to do things. And when you get to do things, you need to do them. So, so like right now we've got SB2. We've also got, so that was one piece, right? Derek Chauvin should not have been a police officer in the first place. The other is police should not have been Uh, the ones to respond to that pullover police shouldn't have been pulling over that car, a counterfeit $20 bill, or someone who's facing drug problems like George Floyd was that person shouldn't get pulled over by armed cops. That's not a situation that necessitates armed police officers. And in California, we've got um, AB 2054. It's it's called the crisis act and the crisis act would pump millions of dollars into emergency non-police services as response to calls. For example, the, the same people that give parking tickets should pull people over for traffic violations. People who have drug issues should not be criminalized. They should be healed. They should, the, the, the root of their addiction should be funded, right? Um, for, and, and it sounds, it's heartbreaking to say, but if A B twenty fifty four and S B two existed in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. Derek Chauvin never would have pulled never would have been a cop at the time of George Floyd being pulled over, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't have had to pull him over. Mm-hmm. And George Floyd would be alive and his daughter would have a father. It's that simple. And it's and we can do it in California. Maryland just revised their police officer bill of rights. We can do that in California. We can do it in every state, but in California we have a democratic supermajority. So the problems are now what it's police officer unions who give a ton of money to every single, are they ubiquitous in California? Oh, politics? Hu- oh, huge. All the moderate Democrats take a ton of money from, from police unions. They're, they are they, the police unions and the realtor so associations are two of the most powerful conservative forces in California and they continue to be incredibly powerful because of the money they have um, but we have a Democratic supermajority so we should pass this right um, but it's going to take calls it's going to take emails it's going to take pushing 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 there's no way this this trial would have ended this way without public pressure and there's no way that this legislation that this legislation will get passed without public pressure as well
0: so that's the uh, that's the police uh, uh, police accountability uh, or or um, you know trying to to, uh, to uh, really shift fundamentally the paradigm of policing going on with those uh, with those bills um, and then I understand that you're doing uh, that you uh, and and by the way I've seen Pico California uh, I've seen the the some of their um, uh, some stuff on the web uh, there. And so maybe that stuff that you um, mm-hmm. put up, I think I've saw uh, also in on idealist.org. I saw on idealist.org, I think at some point or another over the last year that they were hiring for one or another position. Um, and, um, and that description uh, of this really universal faith organization across California that is uh, devoted solely to social justice um, is one that i uh, that i I would be you know i would be overjoyed um to be working for an organization like that it seems like that would you know almost that would check off almost every box
1: faith has not been a huge core tenant of my life but there's always been spirituality in my family and it's incredible seeing the kind of people we work with and our board members like our, our executive director joseph he you know he's a Catholic. He goes to church with Miguel Santiago, who's an assembly member in California. Um, Our chief formation officer, she's a Baha'i. And right for, for, for everyone in this organization, it's so interesting in the people that we work with and the people that we want to reach out to that we're not really even talking to now. I'd be actually curious to get your thoughts for people who aren't already, they're not already drinking the Kool-Aid. They're not far lefties like, like you and I, for example, Matt, but, Faith is important to them, justice is important to them, but they're not on board with you know defund the police. They're not on board with the the far far the the radical left agenda or whatever. But they but they do believe that there are systemic issues that I
0: think it's there a continuum.
1: Are, yeah, it's a continuum. Um,
0: and on one side of the continuum is you know liberal reformist people of faith um, mm-hmm. who. Uh, You know, don't, who are, you know, who do feel, you know, like, um, you know, abolish language of abolitionism does not speak to them, does not call them. Uh, And then, but you also have some people of faith. Uh, who you know, and I, and that's you know, that is my my exposure to that comes from DSA's religious caucus, um, and I'll I'll send you you know some links. and Cornell West is part of that um, is part of that working group, part of oh, that wow. caucus, and has uh, has you know uh, is speaking this weekend along with uh, a lot of uh, you know sort of that level of revolutionary uh, faith. Uh, language. And so I think yeah. it's a continuum but I agree with you that you have to be willing to meet people where they're at on that and that praxis is really important. It's like, actually what we should do is we should all get together and try to pass this law, or we should all get together and do this direct action or this mutual aid or this thing, rather than argue about rhetoric or argue about, you know, those underlying assumptions. Um, But I
1: think, but I think both are, you know, too. And I think your, your point, I think it's kind of a dual sided, uh, Mission, right? On the one hand, there's always immediate legislation that needs to be passed that will functionally make the lives of people either better or safer or less endangered by police and endangered and, and systems. But on the other, there's long-term narrative change that is a precondition for the for the passage of those policies. Like you you brought up communalism earlier and just that one that one underlying social value if you can shift people's perception of individualism versus collectivism that we're we we can do more together versus you know randy and bootstrap philosophy if people genuinely believe that you working as hard as you can as an individual isn't enough that alone would also result in a ton of change but that's that's the kind of stuff that i feel like the right is really good at and they put a lot of money into and that's kind of this um not not the next bill not the next election but 30 40 years how do we over a decade two decades three decades change people how people perceive communalism how people perceive transformative justice versus criminal justice. what does justice mean to the average american when they think justice they think handcuffs jail time fines how how do you in 30 years how do you change that to mean rehabilitation healing more money and free housing right that's that's hard that's hard well, but that's the kind of work that but faith you know,
0: language, religious language, um, and religious traditions have some of that baked in, and uh, and that is and again that is where I think a lot of people um, are motivated, and I think that you know the the secular the the, or the the sort of militantly atheist left has gotten that has not seen that, Um, but I do think that. you know i've seen many actions and many coalitions built between secular and religious uh the secular and religious left that have worked really well and i think that in the end if people concentrate on goals and concentrate on 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 you know uh, take uh sometimes an incremental approach or a or i would call it you know a concrete step by step you know, kind of methodical approach to to political change. Then I think that helps too, and I think it's all it all sort of complements each other. And I wanted to shift to I wanted to ask you about housing uh, oh, yeah. and housing policy because uh, we see uh, and and the right all over the country makes a lot of this that how, why is it that if california is so fucking progressive uh and so uh on top of things you know in such a you know is, is you know sort of puts itself out there as the progressive uh, nation you know um why yeah. is it that then you have a complete train wreck um, uh, uh in terms of housing and access to housing and and some really oppressive policies in some municipalities and stuff like that so what's what's going on with that what's the lay of the land and what are you doing
1: yeah okay so well so earlier we kind of uh we, we unintentionally foreshadowed this by saying that the two most two of the most powerful conservative forces in california are the police unions and the realtors <laughs> um so yeah i mean california has I, in in my opinion, the biggest, the single largest issue in California is housing, um, because it affects the most people. Rent is too high, wages are too stagnant. Um, we just recently in California passed SB ninety one, which was a rent, not rent relief. It was a milk toast kind of eviction moratorium that lasts until July. And it took a lot to pass and they've been kind of kicking the can down the road throughout the entire pandemic you know allowing people to stay in their homes even if they don't have money to pay rent but now that we're coming to the end of the pandemic a lot of these bills are going to come due and people we're going to have an eviction homelessness and rent debt crisis like we've never seen in California and so there's a few things we're working on now. For the, the first one is AB 15, um, which basically is shifting stimulus money to forgive people's rent debt um, because we need, we need real rent debt forgiveness, right? We need, we need to give people a, a blank slate because even if they don't get evicted, it's going to hit their credit scores, which is going to make it so that the next time they need an apartment or if they ever want to buy a home, they won't be able to. Um, they're going to need to borrow credit cards and do, do all kinds of things just to stay alive with a roof over their head, which is just absurd. So the first thing we need to do is real rent debt forgiveness. No questions asked. Uh, the other one is is AB 328, which is kind of a overlap of housing and, and, and transformative justice because it's re-entry housing. It's allowing people, to, it, it it transitions money for people who are coming out of the criminal justice system to be able to find adequate housing. One of the weird loopholes of uh, of, of banning the box for employment, so to speak, is that um, landlords can still ask if you've been in prison and, <laughs> uh, and, and they can still make decisions based off that, which is obviously um, pretty gross in a lot of ways. The one that I'm most excited about is... Um, and uh, this won't sound very exciting, but uh, it's AB 1487. And this is um, a bill that will make it so that people who are facing eviction or people who are facing housing civil actions of any kind are entitled to legal assistance. So it's it's pretty interesting. It sounds pretty damn exciting to me. So here's the thing, right? We've noticed there's good data out there that says the percentage chance that a landlord or a mortgage company or a bank pursues foreclosure eviction, uh, you know, civil action of any kind, the chances of them pursuing it to the end and taking it to trial, once the the the, the renter or the owner has legal representation, goes down by thirty to forty percent. Just the threat, because they don't want to spend extra money litigating. What they want is they want an easy judgment. They want you to get out. They they want a no uh, a, a path of least resistance, right? And right now, under the law, you have you are entitled to legal representation under almost every other kind of criminal or civil action that affects your livelihood, except housing. Um, so this was um, brought about by David Chu. And it's in the Appropriations Committee right now, kind of as we speak. It's gonna, this one's gonna be a tough fight, but I think this would be a huge win if we make it so that in California, if you're facing a housing action, you are entitled to legal assistance. Um, that would be enormous, right? So, no more rent debt, completely forgive it. Eviction moratorium, indefinite. Give people legal assistance when they're facing bad faith landlords. That's what we're working on in California. It's not enough, but it's a good start. All, all three of them are going to be tough. Um, I think legal assistance, I mean, it's got a chance. It's, it's, it's hard to say. It's really early right now, but I think part of the issue is people see there's an eviction moratorium, right? SB 91 passed and now people feel there's always this trade-off in progressive organizing that I'm sure you've noticed it's the same thing with the Chauvin trial. It's the same thing for the, you know, the, the the omnibus bill for COVID. There's this, there are, there's us, you and I and the folks we work with who do this all day, every day, forever, no matter what, we keep pushing until we get the good society. But then there's a lot of folks for whom these kind of piecemeal actions serve as pressure valve releases. And that pressure valve release it, it's a zero sum game of energy, right? <laughs> that they feel, okay, well, things are, you know. We did this. It's all right. We're good. Let's just stop. And it, it's tough, but there are also just stark realities that if people knew, I think they'd do more. Like it, there are like unwritten rules for legislators that if they get 10 emails or 30 calls or there are benchmarks on any given thing, they have like, the The scheduler or whoever is flagging these calls, or the comms assistant or whoever's in their office, they have to elevate it. So, you
0: recommend this as a political tactic uh, oh. and an organizing strategy?
1: For, oh, with, for without legis- a doubt.
0: If, if what you're if what you're doing is legislative work, if that's the the route that you're going, uh, then that then phone calls uh, are uh, are the way to go. And I I heard that um, you know that the talk is this is what. Uh, help, sh- help shift uh, Joe Manchin uh, on the PRO Act. Calls, um, calls, and, calls, uh, calls. Not emails, is, not tweets. Stuff that has been organized by local DSA and other uh, organizations of saying actually call into these particular, this particular group of politicians. They don't have to be uh, in, you know, your... Uh, They don't have to be your senators on a national level. And then on the state level, I think that it's, that's probably also true, right? Like, uh, you know, someone from, uh, you know, San Diego or something could, you know, could call in, uh, you know, for, you know, uh, uh, someone who's representing Central California. Yep. It doesn't
1: matter. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter if they're your legislator or not. Calls matter to, and and I know it's, it's tough because a lot of like slacktivism right now is, a retweet or a petition, they don't, they, they're not useful emails and phone calls. Their phone calls are the best because there is (laughs) someone needs to answer those phone calls and they literally need to clear their voicemail cues at the Capitol. So if there's enough phone calls or emails, there's someone who's their day is like answering them. And if they get to a certain point, there's kind of unwritten rules in Sacramento. And I'm sure it's like this in most legislators that if you get 10, 20, 30 calls on one issue, one bill, you have to elevate it. And then it goes to the campaign manager or the chief of staff, and then it has to go to the assembly member or or, or the state senator. And then they have to get told, hey, look, we got this many calls on just this issue today. And then when you make a, an ask with their scheduler to set some time to actually talk about this, they're far more likely to sit down with you. And then when they sit down with you, if you bring 30, 50 people to that Zoom meeting, now that person knows you have power. They know you have, they don't care. This is my very cynical view of most politicians. I, I know there's good politicians out there. But I think just to be a politician, you, something's got to be up. Like it takes a lot. It's
0: risk averse too. It's a, yeah. There, there's it's, so there's there's the one side of it is you're you are trying you you're going to gravitate towards where the 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 numbers are. Where the people uh, are. And, and that's probably more important, you know, than maybe some of personal values. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, on the other hand, there's the the other the other side of that same equation is if you're risk averse, which if you're an elected official, you automatically become you risk averse, mm-hmm. and so uh, so sometimes generating noise also becomes a way a, a, a strategy. Uh, and this was with the case with public banking um and that finally broke through because of the first because of the numbers of people for it but before that you would sit down with um a, an elected official and explain public banking to them and they would say that's the most what? brilliant thing i've ever heard what a wonderful thing i'm going to go and and try to and try to do this because it's a great idea because you yeah. because you have a good idea there and but then what would happen would be the banking industry would then send in the other half, army of, of lobbyists. The yeah. army of noisemakers mm-hmm. don't do this, can't do this. It's government overreach and all of these sort of and it didn't matter if those were good arguments or not. They would jam up the channel. And so then this elected official would say, you know what? There's a bunch Sorry, of just can't do it question. It sounds like the most safest thing to do right now is not to do it we won't you know it's not going to come out of committee because there's just too much chaos going on and so you are absolutely right about the calls and you're also but it's also true that you can also stop things
1: from yeah yeah oh calls. oh it's it, it the best ideas don't win over legislators the pe- Power does, and I know it's a, again. It sounds like cynical Carl Schmidt philosophy, but it, it, it's it's just true. They, people showing up and showing that one thing is very important to them gives legislators the permission structure to do what is a good idea anyway. And if you can somehow show that you have the numbers or the money to counterbalance the realtors, the police, the the forces that want to make sure they don't pass these things, then most politicians, especially in California, for example, where a lot of them are fairly socially liberal, they would have no problem passing things like this. The only reason that something like full rent debt wouldn't pass is because the realtors are going to withhold a hundred thousand dollars from every single moderate Democrat next cycle, and they'll get beat in places like the Central Valley, mm-hmm. in Fresno, in Orange County, and you know, in these places that are purple, they're toss-ups. The only way we have Democrats in these areas are because they're moderate Democrats that still kind of they're pro-cop, they're pro-landlord. Mm-hmm. So you show up, you call, you keep pushing, you bring people. That's how these things are going to get passed. So I think it's it's possible. Um, it's hard to assess how likely the the legal assistance bill 1487 is now, but that's, this is what we do all day, every day is we're, we're trying to, (laughs) the game is afoot. We're trying to, we're, we're trying to engage in a power analysis to see which legislators, which assembly members, which state senators are on the fence. Who do we need to push? Who do we need to call? Who do we need to annoy? (laughs) How long do we need to do it? So, yeah. Wonderful, two really important
0: things I think we've discussed here uh, in terms of people's everyday lives uh, police reform which you know impacts uh, the you know people who are least able to do anything about it um, and then also you know in, in the same in the same vein uh, legal assistance uh, for housing issues is so important because otherwise you will you're, you're gonna walk away from even you know situations where you're in the right uh, or situations where you need to that place to survive and thrive drive and and so uh, that those sound like surgically uh, aimed uh, reforms um, to to deal with really specific problems yep well it's it's been great to it's been great to talk to you let's do this on a semi-regular basis at least
1: you know I think as 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 I continue to work with Pico you know the the fact that you're so plugged into kind of the national religious left you 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 can have a lot to teach me as well about some of the, you know, what is that demographic look like? How do we communicate with that demographic? How do we mobilize them in California so that they can outnumber rival and take back the mantle of religious faith from the Christian conservative right in California?
0: I'm happy to, to lend a hand and happy to do it for California. It is my my home state technically. So That's true. Uh, so in fact, right, right where you're at, right? You're your stomping grounds uh, very yep. near to, to mine. Um, uh, thank you so much, uh, Calvin. And thanks uh, to the work you're doing and the work Pico California uh, is doing.
1: Um, and keep it up. Thanks so much, Matt. It's great talking to you, man. All right. See you soon. All right. Take care.